thing with growth and uh, restoration and uh, people coming to know Jesus. A lot, a lot of great things. Really, can you just give it up for the Lord really quick? Come on. There's a lot of great things happening here. Uh, we're on our part three of our four-part series called Come to Worship. Everyone say worship. And what we've been doing is we have been looking at the nativity scene, specifically uh, the wise men. Uh, we talked the first week, the wise men uh, came to uh, search out Jesus. And uh, we actually looked a little bit into the details. And they traveled roughly a thousand miles to search out uh, this young boy named Jesus. And the catch is with this entire uh, sermon series, hence the title, Come to Worship, the wise men came to Jesus not to get something from him, but actually to give something to him. Um, and that is really crucial, especially with the American church. Uh, I think a lot of times we treat Jesus kind of like a holy uh, vending machine, like, God, I will come to you only if you do something for me. Um, but the wise men, if you look at your activity scene, you, you'll see an act of worship. And the wise men, they came to Jesus to bring him something, not expecting to get anything, not to get anything back. Are you guys tracking with that? I know it's kind of snowy and maybe kind of getting our blood warmed up. Uh, but that, that's kind of the key of this entire sermon series. We want to come to a place of worship where we just, because we want to worship Jesus for who he is. that Because he is king of kings and the Lord of lords. Not saying, Lord, if I come to worship you, then would you do something in return? Um, the reason, another reason we're going through this sermon series is uh, the most important thing about worship is it goes beyond these four walls. Uh, I don't know about you guys, I think the probably most important places that we can go to worship in is actually in our house and in our workplace and in our marriage and our parenting and those things. But again, in our American culture, we've treated worship where no, I'm going to go to church, we're going to sing a few songs, and that's the end of my worship, really. That's kind of what we do. Here's the thing with worship, church. Uh, worship, when we come to Jesus and worship, it fills our soul. God meets you. God will always, I heard another pastor, uh, God will always be on time for when you want to meet him. It's usually the other way around where God wants you to meet you and then we run late or we reschedule, don't we? And so, but God will always meet you here. And when we worship, he, he, he fills your soul. He fills your inner man. And when you go out there and you go through the world and you go through all the stuff, we kind of leave the worship here and we wonder why by Friday, why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so dry? Why do I feel so thirsty? And so the whole premise of this sermon series is to take our worship beyond these four walls and really make your worship personal to your life. And that's really how worship works. The wise men, they came to Jesus not to get something from him, but to give something to him. And so the first week we talked about lifting our hands. Uh, last week we talked about uh, worshiping Jesus with our gifts. Next Next week, we're talking about kneeling our knees before Jesus. But today, we're going to talk about a posture of worship that, that is talked about quite a bit, actually. It's a lot of pastors, we talk about this. You may have heard a message about this. But it's a posture of worship that is rarely done. It's a posture of worship that, might, uh, that does make us feel uncomfortable. And it's a posture of worship that um, if we don't feel like it, then we neglect it. We, we don't even do that. You, you see, the other three, lifting our hands and bringing our gifts and kneeling our knees, those are all physical things that we can do and should do when we worship Jesus. None of those are bad things. I encourage you uh, uh, to, to do those when you worship Jesus. But the one we're talking about today is really, it's an emotional response, 
It's an emotional response. How many of you guys know we worship an emotional God? Okay, some of you might not know that. Uh, just for newsflash, uh, God is not up there with a stern face with white flowing hair and a staff waiting to whack you every time you do something bad. All right, that, that, that's, not, that's not God, that's not Jesus. Please get that picture out of your head. We worship a God that emotionally responds to you. In fact, if you read scripture, you find that God, he, he can get angry. God can get angry. We, we see other times God has joy in his heart. We see other times where God is actually heartbroken for you. We worship an emotional God. And so we should respond emotionally as well. Now, I'm not talking about, now, now if this is you, I'm not dogging on you or anything, that's, that, that's you. But I'm not talking about like you're just like a big, like snotty mess crying the whole time during worship. I'm, I'm not talking about that. If that's you, by all means, do you boo, right? Okay, do, do that stuff. But we should respond emotionally where since God wants to be with us in his emotions, Maybe we should come to worship in a posture that's different than this. Man, did you hear worship today? Vaughn really sucked at that first song. <laughs> worship ran a little bit over time. They didn't do hymns this morning. It's a little cold in the sanctuary. But maybe rather... In spite of all those circumstances, maybe we should just respond emotionally to God like, oh, God, thank you for this week. Thank you, Lord. So this posture of worship that we're going to be talking about today is actually the posture of pouring out your heart before God. Pouring out your heart before God. That's the title of today's message. Um, you can pour out your heart to God in any season of life. Really, it is the posture of worship, whether it's good or bad, you can pour out your heart to God. Maybe during this Christmas, you're feeling like super blessed, like you're thankful, maybe overwhelmed with God's goodness, and you can pour out your heart to God in that. You can really do that. Uh, maybe some of you, maybe you're just kind of just going through the motions. You're just feeling like you're just existing. There's not much wrong with your life, but there's not much right either. Um, you can even pour out your heart in that kind of mundane season that you feel feel like you're in or maybe this Christmas it's just not good and you're hurting maybe someone's not at the Christmas table this year and you miss them a lot you're not really looking forward to the holiday time maybe you're scared or you're confused or maybe you're just alone you can even pour out your heart to God in that season of life you see, pouring out our, your heart to God, is this, it, it's much more than just saying, oh, here's my mess, God, and this is what you have, and you just throw it at him. And, and you do that. God wants you to, to leave your baggage here this morning. But it's also saying, God, like, like, would you come and meet me in my mess right here? Or, God, would you meet me in this awesome time I'm in right now? Or, like, Lord, I'm not really feeling it, but... Would you meet me here? 
It's pouring your heart out to God because no matter how you might feel or how I might feel, you can always pour out your heart to God. So if you can open your Bible to Psalms 142, starting at verse 1. Psalms 142, starting at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we got free Bibles in the back for you. We give them away for free. Um, we also got them in your worship guide notes on the screens behind me, so you can check them out there. But during this uh, uh, series, we've been looking at this book of Psalms quite a bit uh, because really there's so many uh, songs, really that's what Psalms are, are, are songs that talk about worship. And it really, it shows the author's response to worship. Now, each psalm in this book has maybe a few different authors, but the ones we have read, many scholars believe King David penned them. Now, King David was a very interesting guy. Um, he, he, he was considered a man after God's own heart. If you look at King David's life, uh, he was a shepherd uh, as a young boy. He was anointed to be king of Israel. He slayed a giant by the name of Goliath. Uh, but as he got older, his life got more complicated, and all the old people in the room said, <laughs> no one wanted to admit that. They're like, no, I'm not going to do that. And so, uh, but as he got older, his life got more complicated, and it always just seemed like he just messed up. It was, it was mess after mess. And we, but the key thing with King David is even during, in the midst of these messes, he didn't just stay there. You actually see he's, he's pouring out his heart to God, and in the midst of his mess, he ran back to God. I want you guys to see that as we read this. And if you really study King David, in the midst of his mess, he doesn't stay there, but he always ran back to God, which means this. You can be considered a man or a woman after God's own heart in the midst of your mess. I will say amen to that. And that's so crucial when it comes to pouring our heart out to God because, David, you will see the mess, the, the anguish that his soul is in, how broken his heart. And I want you to see how he pours his heart out to God in verse uh, Psalms 142, 1 through 5. This is what it says. It says this. It says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints, underline that, before him and tell him all my troubles. Now, stop right there. Put your finger right there. Right here, we see a very interesting thing that I think we miss out on. David is complaining to God. I don't know who you complain to, but I do know there is one person you can complain to that's probably the best person to complain to. And that's Jesus. Because we live in a life of complaints. You go anywhere, you turn on news, doesn't matter which one you watch, everyone's complaining on there. You go to social media, everyone's complaining on there. You talk with somebody and they're going to complain to you. In fact, when you're in a season of maybe bitterness or you're just downhearted or whatever it might be, you are actually going to complain to someone. Why not complain to God? I think it's been taught a little bit that um, it's not good to complain to God. Actually, you should keep your complaints far from God, only bring the good things to God. Here's my argument against that. He already knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking already, and he wants to know how you feel. And so this morning, if you're kind of one of those seasons where it's not going very well or it's just a season of like you're just going through the routine and you're wanting to complain, don't go to Facebook. Please don't go to Facebook. 
please don't go to Facebook. Don't go to an email. Don't go to a friend. Instead, come before Jesus and pour out your complaints. In fact, David, he has so much complaining to do. It wasn't just he dropped one complaint. He had a whole bucket full of complaints. And he was pouring out to God before he told him any of his actual troubles. Did you know you can come before Jesus and say, God, today was a horrible day. Lord, the traffic was terribly slow today. My kids are irritating me. My wife is bothering me. You can be honest before God. He knows your heart. You can do that. And I would dare say, even as your pastor, it is healthy to start there. But not stay there. It's healthy to start there. But not stay there. Sometimes I think we believe that we should never complain to God, that we only bring the good things to God. But God wants to hear your complaints. He really does. He's God. He can handle it. Let's continue in verse 3. Again, David, he's saying, I'm pouring out my complaints. He says, when I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit of what might happen to me. Can we just all just agree? That's a really bad season of life. Like, no one cares about you. No one cares what might happen to you. Your friends have betrayed you. Your enemies are trying to make you stumble over and over and over again. And in fact, in King David's life, they're actually trying to kill him, believe it or not. So when he says, my enemies are trying to set traps for me, it means, hey, someone is on a murderous rampage after my life. Like, God, this is bad. It's not a good time. But then he, he, he flips a switch in verse 5. I want you to see this. He says, but then I pray to you, O Lord, and I say, underline this next part, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in this life. I like what Psalm 62, 8 says. This is also penned by him. It says, oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Everyone say refuge. God is our refuge. The word refuge is actually a, a biblical government term for the old Levitical cities. I'm not going to kind of get really into it because it can get really, really boring, and I don't want to bore you already to death this morning. Um, but the, 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 the term refuge was actually King David. He used this term for six cities in his kingdom called refuge cities. And what these cities were is that they were safe places for people that might be in trouble, and they need to go hide out in. So, for an example, these refuge cities, you can use it, say, you're out driving your car, right? You keep going. It's a little icy out. You're driving a little faster than you should have. Some guy walks across the crosswalk, and you hit him, and you kill him. Now, back in this day, you do that. The family has the right to seek retribution to go after you. But you're like, hey, it was an accident. I didn't mean to. What can I do? You go to a refuge city. And what you do is illegal for them to come after you, try to get vengeance, and then they can cool off a little bit, and you have a certain amount of time, and then you can have a proper conversation of what took place. It was a very, very wise thing. But this is what the refuge city looked like. It was a safe place. It was a safe zone. 
I have uh, three kids, all who are the under uh, the age of five, Aspen, Micah, and Brooklyn. Um, all uh, right now, we have been trying to sleep train them. Any parents trying to sleep train their kids uh, in this room? Is it just me? Okay, a few of you guys. Uh, you guys know the hassle I'm talking about. Uh, we're, uh, Aspen is doing great. Uh, she sleeps in her bed. She kind of she gets up one time a night. She knocks on the door. We put her back to bed, and then we're good to go. Um, baby Brooklyn, she's a baby. She can't do much, uh, so she just stays in her little prison, and she can't get out anywhere. Uh, so she's good. But she sleeps through the night, thank God, so everything's working out well. Micah, however, Micah's having a really hard time. Um, for whatever reason, uh, Micah gets very, very scared of the dark, like, like, like beyond what the normal fear of dark is. And I think he really gets it from me. Growing up, uh, I had a very horrible fear of the dark. Clear up through junior high, it was ridiculous. Um, and, and you laugh at me. No. But yeah, it was, it was just, it was, it was a weird thing and, 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 and I had to get over it. It was like, even though I was like walking through my church's basement, I'm like, oh no, get there before the enemy grabs my ankles and drag me under. And it was, it was a very horrible, stupid fear is what it was. Um, but Micah, he, he, it kind of reminds me of that. And so uh, he would, uh, he would wake up in the middle of the night and you could hear the pitter patter of his footsteps. And it's not like the cute little pitter patter. It's like he is running for his life from like, if he's sleeping on the couch or his bed, clear to our bedroom. Like he is is like booking it hardcore and it is crazy and we said Michael let's go back to bed let's lay down and we lay down and he would just start like just crying and, and screaming he's like I'm scared I'm scared I'm scared and and we would pray for him and we just pray in the room and I said you know no you, you know Jesus is in your heart and you know he, we do the good Christian parenting thing he's like I don't care I'm gonna go to your room and and, and, it's, and it's really really hard and really what Mike if you take a step back from that what Micah is doing is he is seeking refuge in our room now what's what's so special about our room uh, really nothing besides that his parents are there. And he knows wherever his parents are, there will be safety. It's a safe place for him. Like for some reason, if he's sleeping anywhere else, the monsters can get him. But the monsters can't get through the supernatural door that we have in our bedroom. And as soon as he gets in there and he crawls in bed, he sleeps and he just sleeps through the entire night. It's, it's, it's so peaceful for him. It's a safe place. It's a refuge. Maybe some of you, you had a safe place uh, as a kid or, 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 or a secret spot in your house. Maybe it was like a treat house or, or a clubhouse or, or maybe it was something like an item. How many of you guys had like a teddy bear growing up? Or um, I don't know what the term, term is now, but they have like a little old stuffed animal, the head on a blanket, which is very morbid. You rip off the head off the animal and put it on the blanket and then you, that that's, keeps them safe. I don't know how that works. A whoobie is what they call it. Uh, but maybe that's what you had. Or even today as adults, whether you know it or not, you have a safe place, most likely not a thing or a physical place, but it's actually a person. Like you feel safe when you're with so-and-so. For me, it, it's actually uh, my wife. My wife and I are like best friends. I tell her all the time, and I really mean it. Like, like this whole thing like can blow up. Like, if I lose my job or my house, I mean, it's 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 all good. But man, if if I lose you, that would be very hard for me. But I know if you're like by my side, like it's it's good to go. She's sitting right here, and you're looking really good, babe. And she write, write these down. I'm saying these things. But, but, but truly, like, 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 like I, I, I feel safe when I'm with her because it's just, she, she's a safe place for me. 
And I don't know, maybe you have someone that's a safe place for you where you can just be yourself or maybe it's a best friend or a spouse that you can relate with this. But we all have a refuge, whether you know it or not. We all have a a safe place. But I want to have you consider just for a few moments over the next course of this morning is make Jesus your refuge. Make Jesus uh, your safe place. Over the next few moments, I want to show you how Jesus can be your refuge, where you can truly pour out your heart. Because really, that's what a refuge is. You can pour out your heart. I, I can share with my wife anything that I want to share. I share with her everything, whether she likes it or not. Like I pour out my heart and vice versa because, because we have a safe place with each other. You guys have someone that you can pour your heart out to. But maybe today, this morning, the best refuge you can have in your life is none other than Jesus Christ. Where you can pour your heart out to him. And I want to share you two things that you can remember and trust as you pour out your heart to Jesus as you make him your refuge. The first point is this, is to make Jesus your refuge, remember God's faithfulness in your past. To make Jesus your refuge, remember God's faithfulness in your past. There's another psalm in chapter 42 that I want to read. You can turn over there. Uh, King David wrote this one as well. Again, it was really during a bad time in his life. In fact, this time would probably be, in my opinion, maybe one of the lowest points in King David's life. Uh, he, see, he had a son named uh, Absalom, and he raised his son, loved him, did all these things. But when Absalom got of age and was able to take the reins, uh, was able to be mature enough to take the reins of the kingdom, um, he actually rebelled against his dad. Like, that's a bad day when your son is out to kill you, right? All the fathers, some of you guys look, oh, I can, it's a bad day. And so he's penning this with his son betraying him, trying to take everything away from him. Um, And David writes this in response to everything that happens. And I want you to see, again, how he complains to God and then flips a switch in what he writes. This is what he says, Psalms 42, 3 through 5. He says this. Day and night, I have only tears for food. Man, that really sucks, doesn't it? Tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy, giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And then he flips a switch. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior, my God. Now, I'm deeply discouraged. Sure, we get that. But I will remember you. But I will remember you. David, he's pouring out his heart. He's saying, my life is not the best. Clearly, my son is trying to get rid of me and about to lose everything. And while this all is true, I know this to be true as well. I have a God who is my Savior that I can put my hope in. And even though I'm discouraged now, you got to see that. Because I think a lot of times we talk about this concept of joy. We read Philippians, right? It says joy. And you know, I say again, rejoice. And we, we think that we need to put on this mysterious lens that when we say we have joy, we're oblivious to the fact that life is not good right now. 
We try to pretend like, oh, I have joy, and I'm pretending like this world is not on fire, and my life is not going down in the pits because I have joy. I, I love what King David says. You know, I see my current circumstances. Yeah, I'm really discouraged. Yeah, it's not going the best for me right now. But I'm going to remember your faithfulness, oh God. I'm going to remember your faithfulness. There's another book called Lamentations. If you are, uh, want to get really encouraged, read that book. Um, that's a joke. Don't. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a book uh, penned by uh, King, uh, King David's son where the author is just downright just bummed about life. And it's not really the most uplifting book in the Bible, but it's super insightful. It's really insightful. I want to read what he writes in Lamentations 3, 19 through 23. I love what he says. He says this. He says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. How many of you guys have been there? Like, ugh, like this is going to scar my life. Like, I know this is going to haunt me for a while. But in verse 21, I love this part. He says, Yet... I still dare to hope when I remember this. What does he remember? He remembers the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh each morning. Yet I still hope when I remember this. You know, I, I preached this about, uh, I said this line about a year ago, and it really stuck with me. What this verse tells me is this. You have to be one of the best preachers in your own life. Let me say that one more time. You have to be one of the best preachers in your personal life. Because a lot of times we wait till Sunday and wait for Pastor Vaughn to bring you an encouraging message. And sometimes I preach messages like this. Like, yeah, life is going to stink. <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. Get going, right? <laughs> but you need to read God's faithfulness in the word. You've got to remember his faithfulness and goodness in the past. And you've got to read the promises that each time when you wake up in the morning, his grace and his mercies are brand new just for you. And sometimes you have to get down and say, I know why I'm discouraged. Why am I so sad? Why is my life so bitter? But yet I still dare to hope. You got to preach that to yourself sometimes. Because there's going to be seasons where I'm not going to be able to do that for you. In fact, the mark of a mature Christian is when you can do that by yourself. It's called feeding yourself with meat and not the milk. And if you got you to get down there and just say, man, you know what? I, I know what I see, but my God is still good. I know what's happening around me, but my God is still faithful. There are going to be times where it is dark and you're looking for a refuge. And the best thing you can do in those moments is to remember God's faithfulness, his unending love, his mercies never end or cease. And there's new ones each and every morning. You need to remind yourself that when you called on Jesus, Jesus came down to save you. That You got to remember that prayer that you prayed one time and Jesus heard you and answered your prayers. Uh, you got to remember that when you had nothing but 
you never lacked because Jesus always provided. And if you're really running out of things to, to remember on or call on, open up your Bible and read the countless stories of Jesus coming time after time after time after time, never leaving or forsaking his people, both Old Testament and New Testament. He's always there for you. Remember God's faithfulness. My wife and I, we do this all the time when we hit a bump in the road. We, we have to remember when Aspen is diagnosed with Down syndrome and we have to do tests every year on her blood to see if she has cancerous blood cells. We have to remember that God saved her as a baby and he can for sure do it now with these tests. When we first started out, we had no money to, to do anything with. We felt like God told us to start tithing and, and we did and we looked at the money to pay the bills and there was no money to pay bills or no money to buy food. But we have to remember God provided then he'll provide now in fact here's a funny story even just last night uh every year or this this last year we bought a, a, a side of beef and we actually just ran out uh, a, uh, about three weeks ago and we're like oh man now we have to actually go to walmart and buy a beef how many guys know walmart is pretty expensive when it comes to beef right and it's not even that good of a beef anyways and so so we're like oh what do we do and we're going this and we get a call from my friend and we get like like i think it's like 30 pounds of beef for free last night i mean <laughs> Okay, thank you for the golf clap. That's good. That's good. God will always provide. He will always provide. You will not lack anything. I, we remember when I was working dead-end jobs, and I was just frustrated. I wanted to find my calling, and I knew. My wife asked me, she says, if there's anything you can do right now, what would it be? I'm like, babe, I just want to be in ministry. But who's going to take a guy that didn't go to seminary? Who's going to take a guy that didn't go to Bible college? Who's going to take a guy at the young age of 17 and put him in full-time ministry? I kid you not. A month later, a very influential church hired me on as a full-time pastor. I mean, who does that? I don't know if he was thinking straight, but I certainly enjoyed it. And it has now led down the road to here. I mean, God is always, always faithful. I mean, even when I was single, when I was single, people, I prayed for like a good, godly, mature, and yes, I prayed that she was beautiful and attractive. Do not, I mean, I will be honest, I was a young man at that time. I want a good-looking wife. And I tell you what, I found one, and she was dating someone else. And I told her, you're going to break up with them. You're going to start dating me. Fast forward a month, we're dating. It worked out. Fast forward another six months, we're married. It worked out. Thank, thank, thank you. Yeah, you're all wondering, like, man, did God blind her at the same time? Like, how did, he, how did that work out? Like, my goodness. But you have to remember, if, if God is faithful in your past, for sure he's going to be faithful in your present and your future. For sure he's going to be faithful. I remember God's faithfulness in my past. I recall all of what God has done in those good times and even in the worst times in my life. And I dare to hope. Man, maybe that should be your, kind of like your, 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 your slogan for this week. Like, in spite of all this, I dare to hope. I dare to hope. Because God was good then, surely he'll be good to me now. So as you pour out your heart, make Jesus your refuge. Remember God's faithfulness in your past. But also this, trust in God's power for your future. Trust in God's power for your future. Angie, if you want to come up. Psalm 102 is a psalm that David could have wrote. We really don't know the author of this certain psalm. But what we do know about a style of writing, um, this was the writer's like lowest point in his life. It is 
you could probably even say that he is depressed in this writing. Lowest point. There's so much pain and and crisis in all the areas in this verse. There's pain and crisis in, in, in his mental state, his physical state, social state, and even spiritual. Man, when you get hit on all areas of those, that is just a really bad time in your life. Because it's usually when we get hit in the physical, we can hold on to our spiritual. If we get hit spiritually, we can hold on to the physical or the emotional. But this guy, he has nothing. Like he's just down and out. He's lost it all. This is what he says in Psalms 102. He says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea. Don't turn away from me in my time of distress. Please bend down to listen and answer me quickly when I call to you. How many guys have been there where you just prayed and you're like, God, man, where are you? Are you making your way towards me? Can you hear me? And I just want to encourage you right now that it's not the case God is ignoring you. He's not turning off his ears to you. He he hears your prayers. He hears your pleas. But I need to let you know this. God will arrive just at the right moment in your crisis. And the thing with our own human understanding, we think we know when God should show up. But I tell you, if he show up when we want him to show up, we'd actually mess things up even more. Because we really don't know what we need. But God knows. And so while you're crying out to God, God's saying, just just hold on. Hold on. It's like trying to train our young kids. It says, no, 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 hold on. You're not old enough for this yet. You're not mature enough yet. You don't know how to handle this blessing yet. Or just just stick out through the pain just a little bit more because actually what you don't see is I'm molding and I'm crafting you. I'm refining you through this refiner's fire just a little bit longer. And you're going to come out in a brand new person. He says, for my days disappear like smoke and my bones burn like, like, like red hot coals. My heart is sick, withered like grass. I've lost my appetite because of my groaning, I'm just reduced to skin and bones. I'm like an owl in a desert, like a little owl in a far off wilderness. I, I lie awake, lonely as solitary bird on the roof. My enemies taunt me day after day. They mock and curse me. Man, I, I eat ashes for my food. My tears run down into my drink because of your anger and, and your wrath. He's feeling this because I feel like you've picked me up and thrown me out. My laugh passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. I'm withering away like grass. I mean, just look at the words he's using, church. He's like, I'm in distress. I'm lonely. I'm just reduced to nothing. My enemies are making fun of me. It's like, man, it's like Eeyore from the Winnie the Pooh was writing this whole thing. But if you jump down to verse 12, you see something incredible. I mean, this guy, he's just down and out. But he says this, I love this, and this is kind of pinnacle of today's message, so I want you to do not tune out. He says in verse 12, he says, but you, O Lord, but you, O Lord, you're gonna sit on your throne forever. 
Your fame will endure to every generation. He will listen to the prayers of the destitute. You're not going to reject my pleas. I, I need to tell you this morning, you're going to have a lot of pain in this life. You're going to have trials and tribulations and bad seasons and horrible seasons, seasons of loss and grieving and hurt and depression and stress and anxiety. But in those midst of those moments, church, you can have what we call a but God moment where despite of what you see, but God is going to come in. He's going to do amazing things in your life. And here's the thing with, 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 the, with the but God moment. In, in here, you see the author where he starts praising God. I, another pastor, he says the author here, he's pushing through the place of pain to the place of praise. A lot of time in your pain, you, you can recognize it, you can be discouraged by it, but don't sit there, push through it to a place of praise and start worshiping God. Because let me tell you, when you worship God in the place of your pain, your outlook and your perspective changes. It is radical on how this works. Church, I can't tell you how many times I have been scared, I have been confused, where I've experienced great loss and dealt with sadness and anger. And each of those times I would plead with God, I would complain to God. Remember, it's okay to complain, but it's not okay to sit in your complaining. Each of these Psalms we have read, the author would just complain and they had every right, church, every right to say what they were saying. But each one of them came to a place where they stopped complaining and started praising. We need to get to a place where we make God our refuge. We got to get a place where we got to stop complaining and start praising. And see how your life changes. This has got me through some of the most severe moments in my life. When you pour out your heart and worship and trust in God's power for your future, you're essentially thanking God in advance for what he's going to do. God... Christmas table is a little empty this, this year. But God, I'm going to trust you and bring that Christmas joy into my life. God, I lost my job. I got laid off at the railroad and I've got Christmas presents to buy. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you that you're always going to provide for me. Lord, my, 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 my wife and I, our marriage is on the rocks and the papers are there. Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you to reignite this fire in our marriage. You're thanking God in advance for what he's going to do. Because let me tell you, we serve a good God. And he wants good in your life. Church, in your life, you'll have but God moments. And you'll actually have quite a few of them. But here's the thing with but God moments. I'm going to finish with this. The thing with but God moments is that you can miss them. You can miss them because they come during the most difficult times in your life. These but God moments happen when you lose someone, when you feel rejected, when you're unemployed, you're financially stressed, you have medical issues and the test didn't come back with a good report. When you're confused and you don't understand and when you're in fear and when you're afraid, but God moments come at the worst times in your life. And it's during these times where you have two choices. You can sit and you're complaining and say, woe is me. And you have every right to do so. And I wouldn't tell you any different. Yeah, I agree. Your life is not the best right now. Or 
you can have a but God moment and say, yeah, my life is not going so well, but God is going to do something right now. But God is going to bring those test results and a miracle could happen. But God is going to restore my marriage. But God is going to bring that joy in my life. But God is going to bring me that special someone that I don't feel lonely. But God, but God, but God, but God. You just have to be on the lookout for them. Because if you want to sit in here complaining, you'll miss them. But just like any of these psalmists, they wrote, yeah, my life is horrible. But God, I remember your faithfulness. I remember your goodness. But you, oh Lord. Here's the thing, church. Jesus is faithful in the past. Jesus is good in the present. And Jesus will be with you in the future. Come to worship Jesus, not just on Sundays. Take this worship beyond these four walls. Worship in your house. Worship at work. Worship in your car. Again, with the note of keep your hands on the wheel. And just pour out your heart to God. Because when you do that, you might start complaining a little bit. But when you push the pain to the place of praise, you're going to flip that switch and say, oh, but God, you are good to me. And your love is faithful and you're steadfast. Here in a moment, we're gonna sing a Christmas carol that talks about the greatness of Jesus. And we're ending with a song uh, that we've sang quite a bit called Ever Be that talks about how our praise and our worship should always be on our lips. And as we do this morning, we're gonna stand here in a moment and I wanna encourage you, just pour out your heart to God. If that means you gotta sit and kind of focus in or you gotta raise your hands or, or if you're kind of that snotty, bubbly mess crying, I mean, you, you do you, do that. Uh, but, but in any case, I want you to pour out your heart to God this morning. Connect with him on an emotional level. Don't just let this moment pass by you because this moment right here could be a but God moment in your life. Do not miss out on this. So if you want to stand in the worship team, you go ahead and make your way up here. I want to pray for you. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to sing the song, A Christmas Carol. And after that Christmas Carol, we're going to sing a song, Ever Be. When that song comes up, I will make my way forward right here in the front. And if you need some prayer, if you are in a crisis like the psalmist that we read, I want to help you flip that switch in your life. I want to pray for you and pray for that but God moment in your life. Be right down, right in the front. Everything's confidential. My wife and I will stay here and we'll pray for you. But if you're standing there, worship. Pour out your heart to God. But before we do that, with every head bowed, eyes closed, I only got one call this morning. If you're standing here and saying, you know what? I need to make Jesus my refuge for the first time today. I've been seeking safety in other places, addictions, other people. But today I need to make it Jesus right now. If that is you, I want to help you do that. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. But if you're saying, no, I need to make God my refuge right now. I'm making my Lord and my Savior right now. We just slip your hands up. No one's looking. I can see your hands out there. Is there any hands out there? Amen. It's as simple as this, saying, Lord, would you come into my life? Would you make me clean? Starting today, I'm following after you. I'm not living for myself. 
please forgive me my sins. I want to make you Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, I ask you during this moment, whether people raise their hands or not, we know it's the heart that matters. Holy Spirit, would you meet us in this place as we worship? And for those of those who need to come down to have maybe a but God moment in their life, Lord, would you give them the boldness to do that? We thank you for this. In your name, let's sing together, church.